Welcome to another inspirational My Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Colin Santafe. To find out more about My Church, visit mychurchcanada.com. And um, I've got this story that's been rolling around in my head for the last couple of weeks, and I've written it and rewritten it and rewritten it and rewritten it. And I'm just believing that today God is going to do something in your hearts. Because this is the thing, Pastor Julie said it, is when we read God's word, there's two stances that you can have. You can look at it from a distance or you can engage with it up close. And what I'm hoping is today is that as we read this story, you'll find yourself in it. You'll find yourself in the drama of it. You'll find yourself in the highs and lows of it. You'll connect it to whatever you're facing off with, whether that's your family, your business. Maybe it's just you understanding who God really is. I'm believing that today as we read this story, God is gonna do something so unique and so special in your heart today. And so there's this, this story about this woman who basically breaks and enters into this guy's house. She's a prostitute. It's gonna get interesting. And she breaks into this guy's house, looks at him, he's super offended. And then basically Jesus looks at this guy and says, by the way, you've been horrible in your hospitality. This lady has been incredible. And this lady who manufactured love for a living is actually the person in this room, even though you made dinner for me, you brought over all these people, this woman who manufactured love for a living is actually shown me more love than anybody. And to me, that seems like a really weird story off the top. But let's read it. It's gonna be a bit of a mouthful, but let's read through this story. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now, around that time, usually what would happen is is a rabbi would travel from town to town and he would go to, to the synagogue and preach. And after he preached, this would usually be the religious elite. They'd invite him over for dinner. So if you can picture this, this is kind of probably like the post preach meal, okay? So they're all hanging out. And it says, when a certain immoral woman or, or as many people, or like many people who commentary or do commentary on this story would say she was a prostitute from that city, heard that he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off uh, with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I've got something to say to you. Now, this was like a Middle Eastern idiomatic expression of basically being like, all right, look, I'm gonna take a minute and say something. Like, so this wasn't just like, oh, can I say it? It's like, no, no, like, just stop it, man. I I got something to say. And so rather than just telling him off, he tells him a story. He says, Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who would you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answers, I suppose it's the one who canceled the larger debt. He said, that's right. He turned to the woman and said, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet. She's washed them with her tears. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she's literally been kissing my feet since the time I walked in. You neglected the courtesy of anointing my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with a rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and trust me, they're many, have been forgiven. So she's shown me much love. Jesus didn't just say, I love this lady. This lady has actually shown me love. 
But a person who's forgiven little only shows a little bit of love. And when Jesus said this, or then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now all these people are going like, who is this guy who can forgive sins? And Jesus says, your faith save you, go in peace. Let's unpack this story. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to be here. And we don't take it for granted. We don't take it lightly. We thank you for the gift and the sacrifice that you've given us. I pray that you would speak to us and remind us of your goodness today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Amazing. Um, hey, one of the things uh, I've noticed in my life is um, I have a higher inventory of my ability uh, than my reality suggests. I don't know if you've, you've maybe experienced this or, or maybe you can uh, kind of identify with me, but I have a higher inventory of my ability than my reality suggests. And this has kind of followed me all throughout my life. I remember when I was a kid. Now, I actually didn't know that you could actually be denied from a junior high talent show. Um, but our band, we got together some friends and we were like, we are going to make music that changes the world. And so we, we walked in, we were waiting for the green room. We, we went, we auditioned and we didn't make the cut, which is incredible because a high school, junior high talent show is basically just like, hey, just get them up there, build their confidence. This teacher was like, I don't trust that it's going to do that for you in this moment. You know, I have a higher inventory of my ability. I remember I went, um, I went to work out with Pastor Caleb. And, um, you know, I went and, and I thought, man, I can do this. And we started running and jogging. I was like, man, this is so easy. I was like, is this it? And Pastor Caleb's like stretching and stuff. I'm like, man, this has been the easiest workout of my life. He's like, no, we're just getting started. I'm like, okay, whoa, like I did not expect it. I'm literally sitting there like heaving. He's, I'm wanting to throw up in a trash can because I thought that I had a little bit more in me than I thought. But the place where this is the most come out is in parenting. So I have two boys. Um, Avery, he's three years old. He's incredible. Jaden, he's one. He's not as great. I'm kidding. No, he's amazing as well. <laughs> and um, when Avery was born, you know, you go through kind of the normal ebb and flow of learning how to be a parent. Um, and it was great. And ultimately, Looking back on it, Avery is probably one of the greatest gifts a parent could get as their first child. This kid slept through the night from like three or four months old. He ate great. I know, it's amazing. He's good looking. He's cute. I mean, is he better than your kid? Yeah. Do I like to brag about it? Yeah, I do. Like, it's... He's an incredible, incredible boy. And, um, and so I started thinking that I had this thing figured out. And I don't know if you've been there or maybe you've been on the receiving end of this. Maybe it's even been from me. I'll pray for you afterwards. But I started giving just unsolicited feedback and advice because I had cracked the code on what it meant to parent. And you start asking questions almost like you're diagnosing like a doctor. It's like, okay, four hours. Yeah, okay. Okay. Strawberry. Oh, strawberries, Rebecca. <laughs> Let me tell you your problem. <laughs> it's like, that's kind of where I was at. That was the flow that I was in. I was giving advice to people. I had it figured out. My ebook was just about coming out, how I did it, the Colin Santape story of parenting. And you can get it at colinsantape.com. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll talk to you after about it. But I, 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 all of a sudden, another kid comes into our life. Jaden. And um, Jaden is a passionate kid. And that's code for saying he cries a lot. That's like if somebody comes up to you and is like, hey, yeah, your kid has a really unique look. It's like they're saying your kid's ugly. Like it's like, it's just, it's just kind of, 
somebody's like, oh, man. I say that about my kid all the time. But, <laughs> but if you can picture this, Jaden comes into our life. And Jaden is different than Avery. Like, for example, um, you know, Avery, when he was around the stairs, we didn't have baby guards. Again, he's an incredible kid. Like, we didn't have any of those around the stairs because Avery would look at it, he would assess the risk and go, no, that's not good for my future. <laughs> Jaden, Jaden, on the other hand, if you're over there, he'll stay far away from you, put himself in danger so you can do nothing about it and just look at you by the stairs. No, I'm doing it. I don't, I don't. Like, that's... That's Jaden's life. That's kind of the flow that he was on. And every single thing that we did with Avery that worked, we would apply to Jaden, and it did not work. It didn't work at all. And what I've learned from it is it's humbled me a lot as a parent to go, wait a second, I think wherever I thought I had advantage, wherever I thought I knew what I was doing, I think at the end of the day, really, we're all kind of in the same boat. At the end of the day, we really are in the same boat. And when we look at this story, we can look at it and say, man, these are two drastically opposing people. I mean, think about the drama of this story. There's this lady who's a prostitute who's had this crazy life, who's had these crazy encounters. And then on the other side, there's this guy who's a religious elite, and he knows everything about the law and the Torah, and he's studied his whole life, and he's committed his whole life. And he looks at this, and he looks at this lady and goes, man, this guy, I, I can't believe that he would even associate with somebody like this. And then Jesus tells him a story that says, actually, you're just the same as her. How can this guy, who's given his whole life to studying and following, and he's created this space for Jesus, how can Jesus put him in the same category as this lady? Now, maybe you're reading this, you're going, well, I don't see how he's in the same category. Let's break down the parable that Jesus gives. So this is what he says. This is a powerful parable. He says, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces to one, 50 to the other. Neither of them could repay, so he kindly forgave them both. Let's break that down. First off, a man loaned money to two people. Jesus loaned money to these two individuals, in other words, what this tells me is what Jesus is trying to establish is what you have in your life isn't yours. You're working on something that's borrowed. I love what Paul says when he's talking about generosity in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, it's ultimately God who gives seed to the farmer. Everything that we have has actually been given to us and afforded to us. But what we do is, as we get older and as we become more successful, we find sophisticated ways of explaining away God's part in our success. And so what Jesus says is, wait a second, no, 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 you're looking at this wrong, Simon. You're actually in the same boat. You've actually been afforded and lended the same breath that you're borrowing. You've been afforded opportunity. And so we're both in this situation, you and this lady, where you've been given something. And it says that both of them couldn't repay the debt. So in other words, they're both given something, and this is what sin is ultimately. It's a debt that we can't repay. And whether it's a, you perceive it as a lot of sin, whether you perceive it as a little bit of sin, at the end of the day, it says that sin is what separates us from God. And so Jesus, in this parable, is trying to show, wait a second, what you have isn't yours. And if you think that you can repay it, you're both in the scenario where you can't repay this debt. And you've both been forgiven, which is an incredible, miraculous thing. 
But there's one difference in this story. One person walks away keenly aware of how much that forgiveness cost. And see, the crazy thing about this story is Simon and this lady occupy the same space. They both share something in a relationship with Jesus, but only one of them is impacted and moved by how forgiven they are. See, Simon had graduated from grace. And if there's a big idea that I can land on today, it's whether you've been in church for a day or for forever, it's we can't graduate from the grace of God. We can't graduate from how forgiven we are, from how gracious his sacrifice is, for how much he surrendered and how much we have the opportunity to surrender towards him. We can't graduate from the goodness and the grace of God. In our workplace, in our families, in our relationships, the moment where we divorce ourselves from what God did for us is the moment where just like Simon, we start to build a life on something other than Jesus. They both occupied the same space. I wonder if you've been occupying a space of religiousness. You've been coming to church, but you've never really been moved by it. And I think we can come in and out of this as Christians. We can come in and out of amazement and awe and wonder with the beauty of somebody making a decision. All of a sudden, we can come to a church service and a raised hand is just another service. A raised hand and a decision is just another Sunday. Right, Prayer in, the, in a moment of worship and, and bringing needs to God can just become another routine, autopilot type of thing. Simon just saw Jesus as casual, as familiar. But today I want to reawake and re-inspire your wonder about how good God is. And what happens here ought to motivate you and propel you and inspire you to look and live and act differently. So that's what I want to explore with the rest of the time that we have. But really, at the end of the day, if I could just boil all of this stuff down, just don't graduate from grace. It's as simple as that. It's no more complicated than that. But I find interesting, because this is the thing, and like I said, I think so often in life, it's not a one or the other. It's not like we just jump in and out of grace, but I actually think that it's really about letting God into certain areas of our lives. Maybe you've accepted grace for salvation, but you still haven't accepted his grace for his provision. Right? Maybe you've accepted grace for his provision, but you don't have grace that he's going to actually hold your heart when it comes to that relationship that you're still believing for. And I think, ultimately, we really are both people in this story. There's moments of incredible surrender and sacrifice and awe and wonder and gratitude that we have for what God has done in our hearts. And just as much in the same breath, we can also go, yeah, but, but not this thing. But no, I, I got this part. And ultimately, when we don't have the grace of God in the areas of our life, I think there's three things that I see in Simon's life that come to the surface. Firstly, he was judgmental. I wonder if there's areas in your life where you've written the book on what you can do or who that person is. See, because he saw this lady and he already had the script written. He already had the ebook published. It's like, no, no, she's a sinner. No, no, she can't be here. This doesn't fit. That doesn't, no, no, trust me, she would never, if she came to church, it wouldn't be like that. She would, trust me, she's too far gone. He's too far gone. That person hurt me too much. And ultimately, what we can start to do is we can start to make final judgments about things that God's not done writing. And see, where there's not grace in our lives, because this is the thing, is ultimately, 
we need to realize that we've been judged. Just like this story Jesus is saying is like there was actually a judgment. Both of those people were facing the same outcome, a default on their loan. But he says that there's a forgiveness. And this is where when we start to locate the grace of God, we have to start going, before I can judge somebody else, I've got to realize that I've first been judged, but not just judged, I've been let off the hook. And I wonder if you just took, a time, took time to stop, and this is the thing, I'm not trying to belittle your experience or what you've been through or the depth of hurt, but just, to, just for a moment, what if you just stopped and you think about that person, you think about that place, you think about that coworker, and just take a second, go, wait a second. I've been judged, and in everything that God looked at, he said, no, no, you're still all right. I'll serve that for you. I wonder if maybe that could start to inch you closer towards a point of understanding and grace for that person in your life. But so often when we don't apply the grace of God in our lives, it's easy to make flippant judgments. Man, it's easy to make judgments about church, to make judgments about a community. Oh, they're this, they're that. Not realizing that, wait a second, this is a community that's been accepted by the grace of God and you were accepted by the very same thing. And all of a sudden, when you start to stop your judgment or suspend it for just a moment and see what Jesus has done, it starts to create some understanding and some compassion to extend it to somebody else. And ultimately, like I said, any judgment you pass on somebody, there's judgment you have to pass on yourself if you want to go down that road. Secondly, the thing that I see in in Simon's life is there was superiority. There was this sense of superiority. And again, I've never met somebody who's just like, I'm better than that person. But we do it in more sophisticated ways. In our stock and our confidence in people. In how we talk about them when they're not there. And ultimately, he had a superiority complex saying, look, because keep in mind, he was a sinner as well. So he's in the same boat, but she's a really bad sinner. Yeah, 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 well, trust me, that person, they can, they can serve on team, but, but not really. Yeah, that person I can open up to my life, but, but not really. Like, if you really knew what they were going through, trust me. And ultimately, that's birthed out of a superiority. And also, there was a familiarity in his life. Think about what Jesus says after. He says, man, you treated me as common. I came into your house, and this lady had this experience, and she had this response that said, man, that, that matched how forgiven she had been. But Jesus looks at Simon and says, look, man, you've, ex- you've occupied the same space as me, but I've just been common to you. I'm just another traveling rabbi. I'm just another guy with a set of good ideas. I wonder if church for you has just become another set of good ideas. It's just been another Sunday routine. I wonder if the people in your world have just become fixtures in whatever it is you're doing in your life. Fixtures in your pursuit. Fixtures in your success. And see, Simon is looking at the creator of the world, but he's looking right through him. Going, man, this can't be him. Yeah, he's just another guy. But the crazy thing about this story is that we have a God who's not familiar. We have a sacrifice that doesn't match what we've done or what we deserve, but he actually gave all of himself to us. But there was this familiarity that created distance between Simon and God. And this is the thing, is I think if you really look at it and you really locate and boil this whole idea down, it really is about independence. Simon didn't need Jesus. 
And so often, I think, we can come to church, we can come to impasses in our lives, we can come to places where we're facing off with things, and ultimately, we just go, I don't want that. I can do it on my own. Even think about what he says. He says, man, like, this guy can't be God because she's a sinner. Well, what's he saying? Well, wait a second. This guy can't be God because he's not doing it my way. Isn't that almost every objection we have? Man, something hard happened in my life. I was facing off with, man, that can't, like, if God was real, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. So what you're saying is, is if God was real, he actually has to fit into your purview and what you believe and how you would do it. And he actually can't have any wisdom that might be higher or any ways that might be broader than your ways. But so often, see, we find sophisticated ways to explain away independence, but really, ultimately, this story is a guy who didn't need Jesus and a girl who said, you're my everything. I can't live without you. I can't live without this forgiveness. I can't live without this grace. Let us never make that something old or something common or something familiar. When we gather together, we're gathering around a cost. And so I think that's our joy. And that's our work as Christians, to remember how good God's grace really is. And what it can do, I think about the fruit in this lady's life. So some people, when they read this story, they think, they read it backwards. And they go, this lady did all of these loving things. She did all of these bold, audacious things. And then Jesus said, because of this, you're forgiven. But that's not how Jesus qualifies this woman. He actually says, no, it's not because you showed me love that you're forgiven. He says, your faith has saved you. So when this lady walked into this house, she had already heard a life-changing message, and this was actually a responsive love towards the grace that she had experienced. It was a responsive love to the depth of forgiveness that she had experienced. And there's three things that are fruits of grace that, that, that stick out to me in this story. First off, she had a confidence. You know, where there's grace, I think that there ought to be a confidence in your life. And if I could remind you and encourage you today is you ought to have a confidence. Think about this. There was two reasons why she shouldn't have been able to walk into that room. Firstly, she was a woman. And culturally at that time, <clears throat> men and women didn't exactly co-locate in a religious setting like that. So she wouldn't have been welcome in that setting. Secondly, she was a prostitute, which literally her going into that house would have made that house ceremonially unclean. So on two counts, <clears throat> the door should have never been opened towards her. There should have never been an opportunity afforded to her. But there was a depth of forgiveness in her that said, wait a second, I'm so forgiven by God, I can break through all of the labels that people have put on me because this is the thing. People love to put labels on us. People love to say, this is where you can go. This is as far as you can go. This is as far as you can dream. This is how much confidence you can have. And in this, when we really understand how forgiven we are, it breaks down barriers and doors to say, wait, there's actually no extent to the confidence that you can have, to the courage that you can have. And so where there's all of these things, one imposed by her, and then the other one that wasn't imposed by her, she couldn't control that she was a woman, but she did control some of the actions. Neither of those things omitted her from experiencing Jesus best. There was a confidence and there was a courage. See, labels can keep us from God, but, but God's seen them and he's read the report and he's made a different conclusion on the story. I wanna encourage you, have courage. I love what Hebrews 4 says. 
says, our high priest understands our weakness. He faced all the same testings, but did not sin. So let us come timidly, no, boldly, boldly into the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. The most confident you should be is at your worst. The most confident you can be is at your worst. Because when pride is low and when shame is on the table is when Jesus shows up. Another thing that welled out of her was a generosity. Think about the alabaster jar. So basically back in the day, this would have probably been part of her work and she would have used it as part of the wooing process. But this also would have been probably one of the most costly, expensive things on her. And see, when you really start to understand, when you really reconnect with how gracious God is and how forgiving you are, it can't not well up with generosity. And I love the fact that this lady took something that actually would have been used as a tool to push people away from God. And all of a sudden, when she realized how forgiven she was, it became a tool to bless Jesus. And I wonder, what in your life, what places in your life where you're holding on, where you're saying, God, you can't have that. You can't have this relationship. You can't have this decision in my future. Man, you can't have this financial decision. When you just start to realize, wait a second, if he forgave you, if he loves you that intensely, if he loves you that deeply, could it not be that he's in your corner? Could it not be that if he was that generous towards you, that he didn't hold back anything, he didn't hold back his very life, that that situation that you're holding on to we can know when you let it go, he'll bring it back with more. See, she was captivated, not by her own will to be generous, but by the generosity of God. Somebody like me? Have you seen what I've done? Yeah, and you're still enough. And in this small way, she starts to go, well, look, this is, this is all I got. I used to use this for bad, but I, I'm gonna pour this out on you and use it for good. I wonder in your generosity where you need to be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice. Because before you could give anything, before you could put anything on the table, even if you would or you wouldn't, you may never give anything to anyone in the future and he still gave it all for you. See, that's what grace does though. It compels us to be generous and to live open-hearted, big lives. And the last thing I see is that, that motivated her is there was a vulnerability. Our culture loves to hide things and put forward the best version of ourselves. We love to put forward the best picture, the best post, the best soundbite, the best quote. But at the end of the day, that is the opposite of how Jesus receives us. See, Simon gave Jesus his best. He gave him probably, I'm guessing, I, I don't know, maybe the guy was a slob, but I'm guessing he gave him a clean house, gathered a group for him, got food on the table, and this lady comes in a hot mess, everything on the table. It would have been such a shameful action to do this. So shameful that you see this Pharisee is going like, man, I can't believe that she did this. Not in my house. And yet she puts all of her shame on the table. And there's no pride there's all the shame in the world and God eats it up and covers it all. And that's the thing is where there's grace, there ought to be a vulnerability, an ability to go, wait a second, it's not my best pursuits that qualify me. 
It's my trust in God. Listen to what it says in, in Corinthians 12. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You're perfected in your weakness. I think that needs to sink in for some people <clears throat> because you're still <clears throat> trying to do it all on your own. He says, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The most powerful act you can have is at your weakest point, is at your most vulnerable point, is at the point where you're just like, man, I, I can't do this anymore. This is all on the table. And that's what I see in this woman's life. There's two people in the same room, really in the same place, but one is aware of how much it costs and the other is oblivious. My prayer today for you is just that you would just have a re-spark, that you'd be re-engaged with how beautiful and costly and good this gospel is. It didn't come for free, there was a price. There was a debt to be paid. The debt didn't just disappear in that story that Jesus gave. Somebody needed to pay it. The lender ultimately needed to pay it. And in the same way, Jesus did the same for us. You know, I remember this guy I was, I was talking to, it was a while back, but the story always stuck with me. He, was, um, he had been from a, a place in the, in the world where there was a bunch of war. He had experienced a bunch of loss. He had lost friends and all this stuff. And we were kind of talking about his experience. And he said something that really stuck with me. He's like, Colin, like, it's like, for me, I've lost friends. He's like, I feel like I'm living for them. He's like, and for me, every single day, it's just bonus. It's just extra. I was like, man, I want that perspective. And I, and I sure hope that nobody has to experience the depth of loss that he experienced to have that. But at the end of the day, isn't that kind of true with the gospel that we have? It's every single day, it's just added. It's just another benefit of his goodness. It's another benefit of his grace. It's another side effect of his forgiveness. And even in the Bible, in Deuteronomy, there was always this call to remember. And in 1 Corinthians, I love that Jesus even, in his last days, his last night on earth, he calls them to remember the gospel. And this is what it says. I'm actually gonna ask at this moment that the, uh, the host teams um, hands out the communion cups because what I wanna do, and I thought one of the greatest things that we could do is just to be reminded of how good his grace is, to never graduate from it, is we would just do communion on the end of this. And so I'm gonna read this passage and then the band's gonna play and I'm actually just gonna invite you to take it on your own. So you're not, I'm not gonna read and then you can take it. You can just take it on your own and just remember how good God is and what his grace means. And maybe for you, you're in here and you're like, oh, I'm not even sure if I believe this. Well, what I wanna encourage you is, is in this moment, open your heart to it. And maybe something that you heard today started to resonate with you. And what I want you to do is you can take one of these cups, but I want you to think about maybe some of the things that have been said. It's actually not about your best that qualifies you, but God will take you as you are. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. And if you can, let's, let's stand. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's a crazy thought that Jesus, his body was broken for you. Don't just think about it in an us perspective. Think about it in a you perspective. 
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant from my blood. What that means is when Jesus died, there's a new promise. That's not about you living up to God, but it's actually about God saying, even at your worst, I accept you because I died for you. Just like that lender, I took on your debt. I took on your sin. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's remember how good God is. It's as simple as that. Let's not graduate from a moment like this, remembering his goodness, remembering his sacrifice, remembering his forgiveness, but ultimately remembering too the life that's on the other side of it. And that's new life, a new creation, a new hope. So the band's gonna play. We hope this message blessed and encouraged you. To find out more about our church, visit mychurchcanada.com.